You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Now, again, if you're a visitor of River City Church and you're, this is kind of your first weekend, or you're on the life course and this is your first weekend to River City Church, um, just to give you a frame of reference for what we're going through, it's a little boy, Zadok, who's four and a half years old, who got a brain cancer a few months ago that we have been praying for and praying for. There have been hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have prayed for him. And yesterday morning, uh, early in the morning, he passed away and um, went to be with Jesus. And so if you're visiting, that's kind of a little foundational framework for what we are going through this morning and what we're experiencing as a family. And what we want to do as a church is we never want to run from where God has us. We always want to be doing what the Spirit's doing. We always want to be responding to how the Spirit's moving and so um, this morning, uh, is we're going to deviate from our, our John teaching on the Gospel of John. I'm going to teach out of 1 Peter, uh, where Peter is addressing an audience that's very similar in their situation to ours is right now, uh, in suffering and in the, on the other side of a trial. Uh, but first, I want to say this. Uh, having spent some time with Stephanie yesterday and, and over the last few weeks, um, I'll tell you, it has been amazing uh, to see how... You guys, River City Church, have responded to her, have loved her, have cared for her and cared for her family, have brought meals to her. I've heard stories about people cleaning her toilets, cleaning her house, driving her places, going to be with her, worshiping with her through the night, spending the night with her, being with her all the time, and just spending, doing life in the midst of this tremendous trial that her and her family has been on. It has been amazing. It's been overwhelming. Uh, you know, and, and it's been a great reminder of one of the things that we are really good at as a church. We are a healing church. We are a church that is called to heal. God is refining us in that process. But a part of that journey that he has called us to is to love people in the midst of suffering. To walk with people in the midst of suffering. And the stories I have heard, I've never heard of a church doing before. Not the staff. It's you guys. It's the whole church Moving towards Stephanie and Zadok, embracing her, loving her uh, in a way that is just the best picture of the way God loves us, the way that God desires for, for the world to know his love. Um, and so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And yet, after all that was done, here we are, just 24 hours on the other side of Zadok passing away. And we feel pain, we feel suffering, we feel maybe anger. And we question, does God not love? We question, where was God? Why didn't this happen? We're drawn to the questions that we don't have the answers to instead of the things that God has given us answers for. And I led with that at the beginning of the service. What we know is, what we know is, we don't know the answer why. But what we know is that it wasn't because God doesn't love, that God isn't loving. Because when we look to the cross, we see a father who's lost a son. We see a son who suffered for us. That we are his loving hope. We are the ones that he died for. That we are what he didn't have. It was his love for us that led him to the cross, that led him to suffer. And so what we know about God hasn't changed, that he loves us, that he is with us, that he has compassion, that he is here today, that he is empathetic, that he longs for us to look to him and find life in him. In the book of Peter, 
He's addressing believers. Like I said, they're in a similar situation as we are. Suffering, doing life the best they can, trying to live in the kingdom and for the kingdom. And for all kinds of reasons, they are suffering. For all kinds of reasons, they are suffering. They're confused. They're angry. They've lost hope or they are losing hope. Similar to the way that we might be feeling today. And Peter addresses them and he encourages them to stand strong and to repeat, repeatedly reminding them of look at Christ who for the joy set before him endured the Christ, uh, endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy, the joy of Christ. What was the joy that was set before Christ? Was it heaven? Was it the eternal bliss with the Father? No, you were the joy that was set before him. You were the reason that he endured the cross. You were the reason that he endured the shame. His love for you. And, and, and Peter's encouraging them, remember the cross. Remember, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, our example, and on the inheritance that we are storing up in heaven. And he's trying to get us to get our eyes off the temporal, the eyes of the seen world to the unseen world. And he's trying to get them, as God is today with us, to trust him, to live obedient to him, to worship him, even though our circumstances might lead us to do otherwise. And he says, suffering is to be expected, but it is temporary and yields great blessings for those who remain steadfast. Peter makes the astonishing claim that the suffering they presently experience is a test of faith that will, end, that will in the end lead to their praise that will lead to glory for them, that will lead to an increase of their faith, that will lead to this inheritance I talked about. Therefore, even in their suffering, he says, it's an opportunity for joy because it confirms their faith, it refines their faith and the salvation that, they cer- that will certainly be theirs in the end if they hold on to it, if they exercise their faith muscle in the midst of their suffering. Now, What I'm not saying is this, that cancer or illness or sufferings themselves are from God. What I'm saying is that today, on the other side of us not seeing Zadok healed like we prayed for, or maybe it's a trial that you've gone through, you've lost a mother or father, or you have a a child that's being bullied in school, or your marriage is a wreck. Or you don't have any money, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and you're in anguish, and you're in torment. The waves, you feel like the waves are overwhelming you in life. What I'm saying is this, is that today we sit on the other side, and we are suffering. We are in a trial, is what Peter says. And we have opportunity in the midst of where we are now to choose where our hope will be. Where will we place our hope? Where will we go now that we are where we are? Peter's letter encourages us to stay focused on Jesus, our only hope, our only living hope. And as we do, we will find joy, and the suffering of this world will not overwhelm us, and the suffering of this world will not destroy us. The suffering of this world will not define us as a church or as a people who follow Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 says this, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is attested by fire, may be found, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, though you have not now seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Jesus, come, open our eyes to this truth that we would have hope in you, our living God. You know, we thought about having worship today and worship only. And as I prayed about it, I felt like, no, now is a time where we need truth. We need to understand what Scripture says. What does the Word of God tell us to do when we feel the way that we feel? And you'll have a choice today to live by the truth that you hear or to run from the truth that you hear. To live by the hope that you're going to hear me tell about and talk about, even though it doesn't make sense, to cling on to Christ or to go to other things. Verse 3 and 4 basically say, look at God, how amazing God is. Look what he is causing to happen in your life. He has made you born again. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Look at what God is doing. It's bigger than what you feel. It's bigger than what you see. Look at how amazing God is. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because Christ died, he rose from the dead, and he conquered death, we have our hope in something that is alive. We have our hope in something that will never perish. We have our hope in something that we know we can count on no matter what happens on this earth. Our hope is in Christ. A living hope is what he talks about. Our hope is alive. And it's alive because Christ is alive. And we're called into that because we're alive, because we're children of the light, like John said. We're children of God, those who follow Jesus Christ. And our hope is in Christ and nothing less. He is the one we have hope in because he is alive and he's conquered death. So that's how Peter starts. He's reminding them, look, don't look at what you're experiencing. Don't look at the persecution. Don't look at the trials. Don't allow you're suffering to deny you what is real. What is real for the believer is that you're a new creation and your hope is in something that is bigger than what you're feeling and what you're seeing. Your hope is in the resurrection. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And there's this theme all through Peter where he's calling him back to this reality. This new life that we're experiencing is a result of God's grace. Look at what God has done. Not what you have done. Look at what God is doing. Look at his grace. Look at his mercy. Look at his love for you. It's produced this living hope that Peter reminds them of. 
And then he says, from the dead, you know, that you've been, you know, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But also, there's this inheritance that is being stored up for you. Okay, so as we place our hope, this is what it's saying. As we place our hope in Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering, and we endure the suffering, and we press through the suffering, and we love like we have been loving Stephanie and her family. In the midst, who wants to walk into that environment? Who wants to be in the midst of that? Who wants to see those things? Nobody. But as you choose, because of your obedience to Christ, to pursue Jesus, to be faithful to Jesus, in the midst of that, it says that there is an inheritance being built up for you in heaven. And we don't know about the inheritance. It's probably a good thing. It's obviously a good thing because we don't know. God hides it from us, right? But the scripture here tells us some things about this inheritance that are pretty incredible. Hint to us about what this inheritance is like. This inheritance is untouched by death. This inheritance is unstained by evil. This inheritance is unimpaired by time. It is eternal. What you're storing up in heaven will last forever. It is made up of immortality, purity, and beauty. Think about that. This is what you're going to receive in heaven. It's made up of immortality. It's never going away. It's amazing. It's pure in God's purity. And it's beautiful. It's, It's amazing, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's amazing. And we know that it's amazing because God's protecting it for us. He's watching over it for us. He's making sure that nothing happens to what is being stored up in heaven as a result of our suffering. One of the the pictures that the Greek paints of this, of this inheritance, is that it cannot fade away. And it describes it as a beautiful flower in which the beauty never fades. And while I was going through my notes, I worked on this last night, I came back in, I read that, and the question that God put on my heart is, do you trust me, Antley? I see you as a beautiful flower that never fades, as will your inheritance be for you. You see, one of the things that's happening that Peter doesn't come out and say that he's saying to us is, do you believe that I think you're precious to me? Do you believe that I love you to the point where you can trust me with everything in your life, even when your life feels like it's falling apart? Again, we are Christ's inheritance. Isaiah tells us that. We are his living hope. We are the reason he stayed on the cross. Yes, he was obedient to the Father, but the only thing that he didn't have, the only unfading, beautiful thing to him was you, is you. The other thing we know about the inheritance is this, because of the verb tense of it is that it exists now. It exists now. It's a perfect participle. Meaning that right now, in heaven, you have this amazing inheritance that's being stored up for you as you walk in suffering and choose to worship God. As you endure hardships and trials and choose to worship God, there is this inheritance in heaven right now that's being stored up for you, that God is watching over, that he's protecting, that will never go away, that is unfading, that is beautiful for you. Why is that important? Because this life is painful. And every ounce of pain and suffering and struggle that you have is not a waste. 
It's being stored up for you. It's being protected by our Father because he loves you. He wants you to trust him. And he wants you to say, not only have I given you a living hope now to live for on earth, but I'm storing up for you a treasure in heaven for you to live for that will come to you in eternity, for eternity, that is beautiful, that is unfading. Will you trust me? Will you trust that I think that you're beautiful? It goes on to say this. In verse 5, who, by God's power, are being guarded. The who is you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so in this picture, in this snapshot, we see guard, God guarding two things, watching over two things. One of them is your inheritance. The other one, the other promise from Peter to these Christians who are being persecuted, these Christians that are suffering, is that he's also, the other promise that he's guarding over you, that his power, the power of the creator of the universe is guarding and watching and protecting you. That's amazing. Why would he do that? I've just told you, because you're precious to him, because he loves you. What keeps the Christians safe is God's power. He himself is guarding you. This means that God's children, those who follow Jesus, are given new birth into two things, a hope and an inheritance. But they are also guarded by faith until the day that Jesus returns, until their salvation is fully realized, is what the words mean there. And it implies that now, We aren't fully realizing all that we have. We can't until Christ returns and completes the work that he began. It says guarded through faith. The relationship between God, what God does, and what the believer does is not always made clear. And I'm not going to imply that. I just want to finish this. Wait a second. It's nevertheless made clear whenever God acts, there is always an element of human response. Of faith, right? For God's action to be effective in our life. So we have the promise of God's power to protect us, but it's like the catalyst, or somehow our faith works with it for it to be realized in our life. Now, this is where prosperity, I mean, this is where like name it and claim it theology comes in, and all this kind of crazy stuff that we don't believe comes in. That in order for God to move, or in order for God to protect, we have to, have, we have to do this first. And that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God's protection cannot be realized in our life unless we are acting the way that God has called us to act. We are believing what he has called us to believe. If we place our hope in Jesus and our eyes are fixed on him, and the inher- and, and, and eternal inheritance we have, and not on what we see, and not on what we feel, and not on what we want, when our eyes are fixed on the eternal, when our faith and our heart and our life is on Jesus, our living hope, then the trials, the tribulations, and the other ways that the enemy will attack us will not overcome us. 
will not defeat us, will not cause us to lose hope. If we are believing and exercising our faith and holding on to what God promises us, he will protect us. Now, if our hope is not in Jesus, if our hope is on what we see, if our hope is on material things, if our hope is in money, if our hope is in sex, if our hope is in relationship, if our hope, if our greatest desires, if we think this will get me through life, this will bring me life, and the storms come and they will, then we probably might get overwhelmed by the wave. We probably might get burned by the fire. We probably will not experience the protection and the desire and the life that God has for us if we are not exercising our faith in the way that God has called us to exercise it. So how do we get this faith? How do we, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We are shielded by God's power through faith. And the imagery we see takes us to Ephesians a little bit. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield. There's a storm coming. I'm in a battle and there's a shield. God says, take up the shield of what? The shield of faith. Why? So God can protect you with what? The shield of faith that you've taken up. What if you never take up the shield? Protect me, God. There's a shield. Take it. Protect me, God. There's a shield. No. Just protect me. I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do the commands that you have for me. I don't want to live by what the Bible says. I want to live by the way I want to live. But you're in a battle, Antley. You need the shield of faith. Pick up the shield of faith. No. Well, then how can I protect you? That's the picture we have here. That's the imagery that Christ is giving us. Now, he is the trump card in all of this. I'm a big grace guy. God, by his grace, there are times where I'm like, I'm not picking up the shield. And God still protects me because he loves me, because he cares for me. But he's showing us, Peter is telling us, do you want to get through the storms of life? Do you want to not be overwhelmed by the waves? Do you want to not be burned by the fire? Then pick up the shield of faith. Exercise the faith that I've given you in the living hope of Jesus Christ, not in the things that are temporal and seen, not in the things that the world offers you, not in the relationships you think will give you life, but in the relationship that is eternal in Jesus Christ. This week when I was with Stephanie, Felt like God led me to pray this passage of Isaiah over him and her. When we started the service with it, and I read it again at the end of the worship, but it's just where God says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. It's the foundation of your faith. It's the same thing Peter's saying. Fear not, don't worry, because I made you new. I have redeemed you. And then he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you... And through the rivers, they, sh- they won't overcome you. When you walk through the fire, they will not burn you, and the flame will not consume you. These are the things I've been saying the whole day because you're precious in my eyes. Fear not, Peter is saying. Fear not, God is telling us. Place your hope in Jesus, and the waves will not overwhelm you. Do you really, and here's the foundation of all of this. Do you believe, in the last verse, that, I, or that you're precious in my eyes? Do you believe that you're precious to Jesus? Do you really believe that you're his unfading, beautiful flower that he has set aside, that he has died for, that he has endured, the suffering that he has gone through? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, if you really believe that, and you believe in the work that he has accomplished for you on the cross, then you will look to him for your salvation. You will look to him in the midst of your trials. You will look to him in the midst of your storm. And that is faith. That is faith. Show me by your faith that you place your hope in me, Antley. 
When you do, I promise, as bad as it gets, as lonely as you feel, as broken and as beaten as you might be, it will not overwhelm you. It will not overwhelm you. And you will receive an inheritance that I'm protecting for you. I want that kind of faith. Man, do I want that kind of faith. Why? Because I know the storms are coming. Jesus tells it, you know, in this world, on this side of heaven, storms are coming. There'll be tribulation. But I've overcome the world. We read about it all through the Bible. The storms are coming. The waves, when you're in the midst of the waves, when you're in the fire, when you're in the storm, they are all happening. I want faith because when they happen to me, I want to make it through. I don't want to be burned. I don't want to be overwhelmed. I don't want to lose heart. And we say that, don't we? Because we all know that's happening. That's life. And we say, I want that faith, Lord. Give me that faith. And he says, well, it comes by trials and suffering. You still want it? It comes through trials and suffering. I've told you, when I drove my oldest son the first year to middle school, I don't know if I word cursed him or I just said something very prophetic. But I told him that God was going to begin to develop your character. And he said, I know, Dad, I'm ready. I said, do you know how he does that? And he says, no. I said, by suffering. Middle school will be a time of suffering. And it was. It was brutal. It was crushed him. <laughs> Pretty much sure I just confirmed that was a word curse. But anyway. <laughs> but that's what happened. That's what happened. And he, on the other side of that, is a better man. Because he has endured that storm. And so are we. We learn Our faith is refined in suffering through trials where our faith is tested. Where we are forced to really place our hope where we say we believe it comes from. When things are good, when things are great, when things are, man, it's easy to follow Jesus. And so in verse 6 through 8, Peter says this. In this you rejoice. He's talking about your salvation. In this salvation, this new life, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, and again, he's painting a picture of eternal perspective here. What feels like in eternity now, in the midst of suffering, that's what it feels like. But he's saying, but now for a little while, what you're going through now is just a little while. Have an eternal perspective. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith So I will see how genuine your faith is. So you will grow in your genuineness of faith. More precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire. May be found, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ or when Christ returns. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing, us for, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen... The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Peter sympathizes with who he's writing to, as God does with us this morning in the midst of our suffering. 
And the word suffering here means anything and everything that makes us sad, that makes us sorrowful, that makes us hurt, that is wounding us. Anything that's causing us to feel this way, he sees that. But Peter is also teaching us that our, for our faith to be refined, for our faith to be able to carry us, for us to be able to pick up the shield in the midst of the storm, it has to be refined. It has to be worked out in real situations of pain and suffering. It's how we learn to trust our Father. He tests the believer to strengthen his faith, not to punish, but to strengthen. For you, O God, Psalm 66 says, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Proverbs 17, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests our hearts. The crucible is for silver in Proverbs 27, 21. And the furnace is for gold. And a man is tested by his praise, by his worship. The believer expresses true faith by learning to completely trust God. Again, God is not punishing us, but rather cultivating in our hearts an ability to trust him with more and more and more of our life. He wants to protect us from being overwhelmed by the worries and the trials of this world. The way we learn that is by experiencing his love, his presence, and his protection in the midst of those storms. But without the storms, we don't need faith. Without the storms, we don't need faith. What separates us from the rest of the world is that in the midst of their storms, they look at us and go, how do you respond that way? How are you able to worship? How can you still love God? How can you still pursue? What separates us from them is that our hope is in a living glory. Our hope is an inheritance that goes beyond what we're experiencing on, the, on this earth. That's why. And when we do this, when we choose to follow Jesus in the midst of these things, and our faith is refined, it says you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And so when Christ returns, we share glory, we share honor, and we share praise. Think about that. This is what's happening. Because he won't share any of that with anyone, except with you. He holds you up on the day that Christ returns, and this work is complete. And he holds you up as his beautiful, precious, loved one. And he says, look at how I have refined, how I have tested, and they have made true to the promises that I have for them. Look how beautiful they are. Look at all that I have done with them. None of it belongs to you. All the glory belongs to God. But that's what Peter's talking about here. When Christ returns, it's like, we will be glorified and lifted and honored with Christ because of the work that Christ has done in us in the midst of our suffering and our trial and our making it through the storm. In verse 8 and 9, it says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him in inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just real quick, I'm going to end with this. You know, for a good season, and still for a good season, I don't see what I want to see when we pray for healing. When we invite the Holy Spirit to come, I want the roof to fly off. 
You know, when, we, when, 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 I, when I ask for, for God to move and I don't see him move, whenever we're on the life course weekend and we say, come Holy Spirit for the first time, and people, there's expectation, I still haven't seen what my heart desires. And there's a part of me that struggles with that as the church leader. And there was a day that someone came up to me and I told him the struggle that I was having. And thank, you know, because it just, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And um, this person said to me, Antley, blessed are those who have not seen, but they still believe. I never thought of that verse in that context, but that's exactly what Peter's saying right here. In the midst of your trials and sufferings, even though you don't see Jesus, in the midst of your trials and sufferings, even in the, in the midst of what's happening in your life, even though you don't see God do what you want him to do, you still love him. You still choose to worship him. You still choose to follow him. You have faith in what is unseen, not what is seen. Believing that the word of God is true. Believing that the scriptures are true. Believing that there's life here for you. And so you press forward as a church. And so when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, we can allow them to crush us, to shut us down, to be overwhelming to us. Or we can say, no, I believe even though I don't see. I love even though I don't feel. I choose to worship even though I don't want to. Because I believe that my hope and the inheritance I have is eternal and that the living one, the hope is in Jesus Christ who is alive, who is with me. He is my hope. Even though I don't see and experience what he has for me and the result is inexpressible joy and it talks about a joy that is supernatural that we can almost not cope with. It's a joy that in the midst of suffering causes us to run around the room singing praises and worship. It's a joy that can't help but get out. Cheryl Williams. It's a joy. It's a joy. <laughs> you know, I used to, when Cheryl would go start doing her little dance around there, I used to close my eyes. Now I look for her. Because what's happening in Cheryl is an inexpressible joy in the midst of suffering that has to get out, that's supernatural, that cannot be contained is what these words mean. That, that is like rising up in us in the midst of worship. And we all experience that at the end of worship there where we're just going for it in the midst of our suffering. That's what happens. That's how we know that our faith has been refined, that our faith is growing, that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I was up here working on the talk, and I heard worship music, and I saw Amy's car, and knew that Stephanie was with Amy, and came over here, and saw her, spent time just listening to her, loving her, laughing with her, and re, just re-walking through some of the journey that she's been on. I prayed for her at the end, just as I was getting ready to leave, and she said, Antley, I was reminded of that first sermon you did on the book of John, when you had all those candles out. I told you, I think that was like the worst sermon I ever did, Right? I mean, seriously, I articulated, it was horribly articulated. I almost didn't put it on the bus, or the, on the podcast. I was so not liking it, right? I've had more comments about that talk. But she said, I remember that talk you gave. And this is in the midst of her just losing, within less than 12 hours of her losing her son. She said, you had all those candles, and you had the Jesus candle. She says, she says what I've been thinking about, what's on my heart is, that talk, and when you said, when all the lights go out, for whatever reason, when all the lights in our life go out, and Jesus is left, she said, I'm wondering, is he enough? 
Is he enough? And I told her, I said, I hope so, Stephanie. Because if he's not, it's not worth it. The promise is this. He is enough. If we make him our living hope, he is sufficient. If we make him our living hope, he is enough. He's enough, people. But only if we exercise our faith and we choose to follow, we choose to trust, we choose to sacrifice. And in the midst of that, we don't turn away, but we press in. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our life, that we're saying, where did it go? We say, I trust that I'm your precious one. I trust that you love me. I trust that the cross was for me. I trust that you're my living hope. And we worship. Let's stand.